Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Hi, Jeff and Ryan. This is Marisa Stamper. I've called before and you guys are awesome. I appreciate your show very much. My suggestion, how about interviewing you two? We know a lot about the other MASH characters on the show, and Jeff has shared a lot of information. But how about Ryan? How about the other things that Jeff has done? Give us some more information. That would be awesome to hear. Great job, guys. Keep up the good work. You're awesome. We played that voicemail a few episodes back, Jeff, and we thought, hmm, that's a fairly interesting idea. What do you say, Jeff? Should we do an episode where you and I interview one another? I guess so. Yeah, I, I was planning on this episode of uh, interviewing Alan and Loretta and Jamie and Gary all at one time. But yeah, now to heck with it. Let's just talk about you and me. Typically, going into an episode, I over-prepare. <laughs> so I have all kinds of notes written out for myself and you know I have all the questions in front of me I've done the research and I've looked at links and read in books and I've done all that yeah this feels very odd to me to have not done this for this episode yeah this is like being nude at a ballot box or something this is you're voting and you have no clothes on and look at everybody looking at you yeah no I understand you know I prepare also, uh, for the podcast, I get a glass of tea, and that's pretty much it. Um, sometimes I'll put socks on, <laughs> but you do wonderful things, and you come up with great you know, facts and figures, which I don't have. Uh, even if I had them in front of me, I don't think I could say them like you do it. So I'm, you know, I, I listen, I'm lucky here because I got all this stuff in my head. And so when we talk about it, this comes out of there. I don't have to write it down for the most part. Right, right. And you got some great information and provide that to everybody. So that's great. All of that could come crashing down in this episode. You realize <laughs> yes, that? it could be. This could be it. <laughs> this could be the end of MASH Matters. Yeah, MASH Matters. <laughs> yeah, all right. So. Uh, how are we going to do this? Do you just want to go back and forth asking questions to one another? How, how do you want to do this? Yeah. Well, let me take my clothes off first because I want to be, you know, I don't want to. God, this is audio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, sure. Let's go back and forth. Now, I know the the question was what other things did Jeff do? Uh, that's a little nerve wracking to hear somebody ask because <laughs> <laughs> there were a number of things that Jeff do. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not quite sure. I suppose it it relates to show business. I mean, I could start there and then we could just kind of roll right along, I guess. Well, yeah. So I have prepared a few questions of my own. And by the way, we also put out on social media, so our Facebook and Twitter, hey, we're going to be interviewing one another. What are some questions that maybe we could ask each other? And we'll jump into those as well. But I'll ask you, you know, Jeff, aside from MASH, what are some of the other professional highlights of your career? There was that evening in Zanzibar. It was, <laughs> it was a late, rainy evening, very dark. There were only very few people. It was smoky inside. <laughs> no, uh, memorable moments in my career. Yes, 
I think in some respect, they were all memorable because I was so excited to be in show business at all. And I was so thankful that people would let me on to sets <laughs> and, and, and actually participate in anything that they were doing. So yeah. I was always excited. It never got old to me. Now, I say that because I've said about MASH, yeah, it was a job, it was a job. Even with that, it never got old. It was always an exciting thing to do. So being on a television set or a movie set is a very electric, interesting place to be. Mm -hmm. And so I was always very, very happy. You know, an interesting and fun thing that happened was the Kentucky Fried movie. Oh, yeah. That came about as a result of my friendship with John Landis, the guy who directed the movie. Mm -hmm. He and I used to be mail boys at 20th Century Fox, which means we delivered the mail to everybody who worked there. We were both very interested in being in show business. So we were uh, very excited to be working in a movie studio, uh, regardless of what we were doing. You know, we bonded, we became buddies, and we used to run around and have a great time at the studio. Later on, I was on MASH, and when he got the opportunity to direct Kentucky Fried Movie, he came to me and said, hey, look, there's this uh, segment that they're doing, and I think you would be really fun in it, and it would be really great, and I'd like you to do it. And I said, yes. And he said, okay. And then I had to be approved by the Zucker brothers because they were the guys who created the Kentucky Fried Theater in Wisconsin, which was kind of an improvisational sketch comedy show. Right. Then they moved out here because they wanted to further their career in show business. And Wisconsin was a little slow back there for showbiz. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they came out here and they liked the freewheeling, fun humor that John exhibited when they talked to him. And uh, they got together and said, okay, buddy, you're the director and let's have at it. So they did. He did. We did. My segment called Feel Around took about 12 hours to do. Very long day, but a lot of fun. Yeah. I guess as a highlight, that would be really fun because not only was it a show business thing, but it was done, you know, through the pathway of an old friend. That made it all the more satisfying and fun for me to do. It's too bad those Zucker boys never really made it in the business. It's a shame. Whatever happened to them? I, I have not heard a darn thing out of those guys. <laughs> Oh, they just went on to make, you know, Airplane and the Naked Gun movies and, oh. you know, those comedy staples. Hmm. Yeah. Other than that, they really didn't do anything. They were a little dull, actually, you know. <laughs> they were quiet fellas. I'm surprised they were able to do anything else. Were there any guest appearances that you made? Because you made a lot of guest appearances on television shows throughout the years, too. Was there any one uh, guest appearance that stands out among all the others? I, um, yeah, I did a Gidget. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't remember which Gidget I did, but there was one of those Gidgets. And uh, I had a great time. I played a politician. Uh. And I just had a great time playing a politician. So that was a, that was memorable for me. I don't know that the show was all that memorable <laughs> or what I did was particularly memorable, but I enjoyed doing it. Uh. So yeah, that was fun. Gidget. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And there's Starsky and Hutch. I forgot. Oh, here's, you want to hear a Starsky and Hutch story? Yes. So if anybody remembers the show Starsky and Hutch, they were two, what, what were they, detectives? Is that what they were? Kind of free, are they cops? I think they were cops, yeah. They were cops, they? okay. And drove the coolest cop car probably ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So David Soul and the other guy. Um, oh, gosh. Paul Michael, was it Paul Michael Glazer? Yes, sir. Paul Michael Glazer, yes. Yes. So I was hired to be uh, a wacky kooky guy in a kitchen. Huh. <laughs> How do you like them potatoes? And got to the set. 
I was very excited because Starsky and Hutch was a big show and everybody was excited about it. So I was thrilled to be there. And it was actually shot in this little restaurant somewhere in California here, way out. It took me two hours to get there, but it was, you know, somewhere in California. And it was in the deepest part of the kitchen. Apparently what happened is supposedly somebody came running through the kitchen and I, as the worker in the kitchen, got them all messed up and I got messed up and all a bunch of stuff happened as this person came running through there. And then right behind them come Starsky and Hutch chasing this guy. And then they stop and they have some dialogue with me, the worker in the kitchen, and uh, then they run off and do what they're going to do to catch the bad guy. So (laughs) we start to rehearse it. And again, I'm very excited. I'm excited to see the two actors. And it was being directed by Paul Michael Glazier. I think it was the first time he directed the show. So he was directing it. So he came up to me (laughs) and he got really close, like right in my face. And he says, what is your name? (laughs) Jeff Maxwell. I, Jeff, I don't want any acting here at all. I don't want you to act. Do you hear me? <laughs> and now I'm a young, goofy guy. I'm going, oh my God, here's the, you know, the star of the show and the director kind of yelling at me that he doesn't want me to act. And I, okay, what do I do then? <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. I tried to wonder if he was concerned I would do something stupid or overact or something. I don't know, but I I didn't know how to overact. I I was you know, I was you know, intent on doing my lines and so but he kept saying it over and over and over. I don't want you to act. You hear me? Yeah. I don't want any acting out of you. Okay. You're not going to get any. <laughs> I'm not very good, okay? You won't see any acting anywhere. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, he was pretty riled up. And so he grabbed the camera and he started shooting. And he was starting to kind of scream at everybody, screaming at the crew, kind of having almost, I would say, a meltdown. And I'm sorry, Paul, if you hear this and you go, I didn't do that. Yeah, you really did. (laughs) You know, he may have had some very serious personal problems. I don't know. I know he did later on. But Hmm. then once the scene had been shot, I tried very hard not to act at all. And uh, once the scene had been shot, I came up out of the kitchen and I went out into the parking lot and he was in the parking lot and they kind of had it roped off because there were a lot of people standing around watching. And he came up and he started screaming at the kids that were watching and kicking rocks at them. (laughs) (laughs) I I say that that was memorable because I'd never seen anybody do that before. So man, sorry to take up all this time, but that was the Starsky and Hutch story. Sounds like somebody needs to go to a Dale Carnegie course or something. <laughs> I think he needed a, just a couple of couple of weeks of Dr. Phil or something. <laughs> something was going on with him. And unfortunately, I kind of walked into it, but that's all right. What the heck? All right. So if you want to see Jeff Maxwell not acting, look up his appearance <laughs> on Starskin Hutch. So, yes. Yeah, so anyway, all right. That's enough about you, Ryan. Back to me. Um, Really, that's what people want to hear anyway. They don't care about me. Go ahead. Let's just keep talking about you. No, I think they do care about you. And I think they need to know stuff about you. Okay. But let me just say this. Prepare to be underwhelmed. (laughs) 
That's all I'm going to say. Well, okay. I have a question. You and I first met a hundred women years ago when I did the PR campaign for the book I wrote, Secrets of the Mash Mess, The Lost Recipes of Private Igor, which I am still legally trying to fix. So hang on, everybody. Okay. But when I was doing that, that was probably 1997? Somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah. And uh, when you write a book, the publishers try and help you sell it by doing a lot of uh, interviews, press interviews in the newspapers, and if you can, get on TV. And a lot of radio shows, because you can kind of get around a lot of radio stations and have interviews at all the local stations. And I was very interested to do that. Unfortunately, most of them, I'm in California, and so all the stations were across the country and a lot of them back east. So I had to get up at three o'clock in the morning to do the morning shows, which (laughs) were on very early. Yes. So while you and I talked, I was kind of slapping myself to stay away because it was three o'clock in the morning. See, this is the one time that living on the East Coast would have been better for you. (laughs) A lot better. So one of the shows, and I don't remember exactly the name of the show. What was the show that you had? I was on a morning show. The host of the morning show, his name is Pat Benton, and he uh, he retired a few years back, and he listens to the podcast too. So hi, Pat. Hi, Pat. He was really in our area here in the southern part of Illinois. He was a radio legend, and I kind of stumbled upon a career in radio, thanks in part to Pat, and then I ended up being a part of Pat's morning show. Show, kind of serving as a producer role too. So it was the show was called The Celebration of Life. Hmm. I, it was a masterclass for me to sit in with him and watch him perform on the radio every day. And so I learned a lot from Pat. But there was a magazine that would come to the radio station. And this magazine was filled with opportunities for booking guests. I remember sitting in my office at the radio station, thumbing through this magazine. And then all of a sudden, there's your face. That was the first time that I realized, holy cow, he wrote a book. So there was an email address for more information. And the magazine probably hadn't even hit the desk by the time I was emailing. (laughs) I knew that Pat would be fine with it. And selfishly, of course, I wanted to have you on the show because as I've told you before, you were always one of my favorite characters on the show. And so I wasn't going to pass that up. So I emailed and I think it was just later that morning that I received an email back. And typically what happens when you email somebody, you get an email back from a publicist or somebody who is on that person's team saying, okay, let's set something up. I got an email back from you. <laughs> and that just about knocked me over. Hey, I, I was I was in my car eating tuna. What, <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> So we set uh, up an interview with you and here the, the thing I love about Pat is that he just would throw the format out the window when he knew that we had good content. And I think you were on with us for like 45 minutes. <laughs> what was supposed to probably be like a five to 10 minute interview turned into an epic interview and God love you. You stayed on with us and we just kept peppering you with questions and you answered every question and we had a ball. That radio interview led to you and I staying in touch over the years. My wife and I came out and uh, we had lunch while we were out there one time. Didn't we go to the Cheesecake Factory? Do you remember that? We did. We did, yeah. And before that, my buddy Tim and I came out for a radio conference and we went to lunch at a restaurant in Pasadena, I think. Kevin Costner was a owner of it? Or- oh, yes, 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 yes. He owned a restaurant. Yeah, I can't remember the name. Yeah, Kevin Costner owned a restaurant in Pasadena. Yeah. It's amazing to me that me thumbing through that magazine so many years ago led to us staying in touch. And then it led to a few years ago connecting and saying, hey, let's do a podcast. Yeah. 
It's just incredible how stuff like that happens. It is. Yeah. Kind of similar to the John Landis thing with the Kentucky Fried movie. We were buddies and then something happened and you get these great things that come together and it's really fun. So you, we know that you are a very talented actor, director. Uh, You do a lot of stage stuff in Illinois. So were you studying in school to do a a theater career and then kind of got into the uh, radio thing from that? Or how did that work? Yeah, I'll I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version of this so we don't bore too many listeners. (laughs) If you're driving, I would suggest pulling over to the side of the road and waiting for me to complete the story before you operate any heavy machinery. So I did theater, you know, in high school and then in college. I went to a community college and did a lot of theater there, really gained some traction with my love of theater and acting. Okay. I don't want to interrupt you, but what was it about acting? Was that instilled in you as a kid? Were your did anybody in your family act or did you say, Hey, I like what so and so's doing, I want to do that? How did you start that path? Nobody in my family really had a connection with performance. My dad was a drummer and he had played in some bands, but there there was nobody really who had ever done any stage acting in my family. And I don't know what it is when from just from a very early age, I was fascinated by it. I watched a lot of TV. I watched a lot of movies. I also listened to a lot of old time radio when I was very young. And so from a very early age, I was walking around with my big clunky cassette recorder and I would record myself doing little shows. Oh, that's great. But unfortunately in my area at the time, there was wasn't really an outlet for kids to do theater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nowadays, there are a lot of opportunities for kids to do theater here, but back then they didn't have it. So it really wasn't until high school that I was really able to start acting and I fell in love with it. There's something about acting. Put me on stage in front of a thousand people and I'm at ease. Yeah. I feel comfortable out there and I can't explain why, yep. but there is something really freeing about it because a big part of it is it's not me. Mm-hmm. I'm portraying a character. You get to be somebody else for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. Stage is where I feel most comfortable and man, I've really missed it. Oh, I'm sure you have. As soon as it is safe for me to be back on a stage, I'm going to be back on a stage. Wow. And so you didn't have the bug in your head to say, hey, you know, I'm going to leave here and go to Los Angeles and be a movie star and get on the stage there. Did that ever come up? It crossed my mind and I did go. So I think your original question was schooling and things like that. So I I went to a community college for two years and then I went to a university as a theater major. Mm -hmm. I spent two semesters as a theater major and I did not enjoy my time at the university as a theater major. Really did not enjoy it. Why why not? What was it? I really didn't enjoy the people I was with. Mm. It was not about acting. It was about uh, acting weird and it was about who was doing what with who. Mm -hmm. That was not my thing. Yeah. It wasn't the right setting for me. So, uh, but about that time, I was also working as a waiter and that's when my friend Pat Benton, the radio host, came in one night and I waited on him and he said, you know, uh, our overnight guy just got fired. Why don't you talk to uh, the station manager about maybe doing some overnights? Wow. (laughs) Wow. So I went and talked to the station manager. He said, yeah, we'll give you a shot on overnights. And I started doing overnight radio on our country station, which was the number one station in our area. That led to me doing some fun stuff on the morning show. From there, I did some other air shifts and I became the creative director. So I was in charge of commercials and it turned into my career. And so because of that, I never graduated with a degree. I left the university, made radio my career, and never looked back. When you were a kid and you were walking around with that tape recorder, was 
there any parallel between that moment and what you were doing on the late night uh, radio station? Was there any, had that sort of prepared you to do that? I think it did. It prepared me even more so for my career in the creative side of it, which was creating commercials. And it still does because I still do that today. Yeah, I no longer work in radio, but I still do write and produce marketing messages for clients around the country. Yeah, I, I say that when I was a kid, I walked around making funny voices, telling stories into a cassette recorder. <laughs> well, now- I do it for a living. Yeah. It's amazing. If there are any kids out there listening, keep talking into the tape recorder or in your iPhone because it makes a difference. (laughs) It does. It really does. You know, I, as a kid, did the same thing kind of with the tape recorder. And then what ended up being my comedy partner for umpteen years, you know, we would just goof around and take a tape recorder and talk in it and do crazy voices and do silly things and say goofy things. And that actually led to a career and led to making money as an adult. So yeah, it's a very valuable thing to do. And I guess if you're a kid and you don't have any other outlet, what are you going to do? So you get a tape recorder or whatever, and you start talking into it and you play that way. Now, these kids today, I'm telling you, Ryan, these kids today, what they have, they have that YouTube thing, they have a TikTok or a TikTok, whatever that is, (laughs) and they can do that. But it's a wonderful thing. I mean, we didn't have that when we were kids, did we? We didn't have any of that. These kids today. These kids today. So, boy, it's an, a, a great opportunity to learn and to, you know, find out about yourself and what you do and what you like and what you sound like. So that's really cool. There's a great quote from a, a guy named David Freeman. And his quote is, the goal of life is to take everything that made you weird as a kid and get people to pay you money for it when you're older. <laughs> exactly. I subscribe to that completely. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you you became the radio guy, and then you and I met through the book, and then we talked a thousand years later, and we started this. Yeah. I was always very self-aware whenever I was emailing you because I never wanted it to come off as like, I want to be your best friend, and I want to talk about MASH all the time with you. <laughs> I would email you a couple times a year and you were always very nice and gracious and replying, but I never wanted it to turn into when you saw my name showing up in your inbox that it was, oh God, there's that Patrick guy again. <laughs> Ryan Stalker is this name. <laughs> well, uh, you know, quite. let me say something really cool about you. If you had not been the person you are, we wouldn't be doing this because whatever it was that went on in 1997 or 1998 is the reason we're here. I respected you and whatever that rhythm or resonance we had together, that's why I'm here. And I still respect you and I'm very grateful that we're doing this. And so I thank you for being you and I thank you for uh, having me on that show 100 million years ago. So I get to have the fun with you doing this. So there you go. Right back at you. I'm still amazed that we get to do this and that you wanted to be a part of it. So thank you. And you can cut all that stuff out that I just said. If oh, you want I'm going to cut most of the stuff out about me. <laughs> no, no, no. What no, people no, really want to know is about you. And ah. we did get a couple of questions in from listeners I want to highlight. This is a, a question that I was actually wondering myself. And Manfred Hilgers, he said, is there any TV show that you were offered to be a part of that you declined and now regret to have declined? Um, or yes, I got the opportunity to make up for my stupid decision later, uh, in a different direction, but there was a part offered to me and I was to play a woman or a gentleman who dressed as a woman. 
And at the time, that didn't bother me, but I was concerned as a young actor trying to do something, would that be difficult for me to do? And would that be kind of a pigeonhole of a part? I didn't care that I was dressing as a woman, but I wanted to do things, other things that were more, actually got into more slapsticky stuff. And I wanted to have a, a little bit more fun than what that part was offering me. So it was not necessarily I was dressing as a woman, but it was also that that part was a little uh, quiet for Jeff Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I did turn it down. And I did regret it because I felt that anybody would start to judge me that I had some prejudice against anybody who was dressing as a woman. And I don't. My prejudice level is extremely low, if not to zero. Part of me also regretted it because I, it was a show and it went on for, it didn't last very long and it went on for a little while. And you say, well, gee, I should have done that. It was probably a good paycheck. But a couple of years later, I did audition for another show <laughs> and it was for a part of a gentleman who dressed as a woman. And I showed up at the audition dressed as a woman. And uh, they liked me and said, okay, you got the job. Huh. Plus that I liked the show better than the original one anyway. It was funnier. It was more fun. The character was more fun. So I took it. We did it. I did one show. And then there were problems with the show and they had to recast it and all kinds of things can happen in a network television show. And uh, they recast about four or five of the <laughs> characters, uh, including myself. And so that was kind of the end of that. Speaking of shows that you were not on, Rob and Lisa both asked about whether or not you were ever asked to be on Aftermash. And if not, were you upset that you weren't asked to be on Aftermash? No, I wasn't asked. And uh, I kind of wasn't upset about it. The characters were kind of set in stone in terms of being medically oriented people. And they would have had to have, it would have been a big stretch to say, okay, let's bring the guy who used to serve the bad food in 4077 here too. Mm. So I didn't think it was all that appropriate anyway to bring the character. So I, I didn't take it personally and under any circumstances, no. I mean, I did care, but I, I wasn't hurt. I'm okay. <laughs> it was okay. And from a listener for you, Ryan. Uh, the listener is B-Man. And the question is, what is it about MASH that drew you to it and keeps you watching it to this day? Good question. You know, I, I mean, there's several different reasons, really. You know, it, it might be set in the 50s and in Korea during wartime, but the themes and the ideology, they're just as prevalent, if not more so today. We need those messages nowadays just as much. I love also the mix of humor and humanity. Back then, there wasn't anything like that. And I just always loved and respected that mix of humor and drama. Also, you know, we love these characters because we are these characters. We know these characters. We all know a Hawkeye. We all know Radar. We know these people. And I think I've said this before. It teaches us how to be able to use humor to cope 
with challenging times, with overwhelming situations, these times that we're in right now, we can find ways to use humor to not necessarily make light of the situation, but to help us get through that situation. Yeah, well said. You know, to dovetail into that, uh, another listener, Greg Gould says, if you could spend the day talking MASH or anything else with any cast member, including the members who have passed away, who would it be? I'm guessing I know, but I want to hear it from you. Well, my number one might surprise you. My number one would be Larry Gelbart. Ah, okay. If I had the opportunity to go back and talk to Larry Gelbart, mm-hmm. not just because of MASH, but because he was a comedy legend. Yep. My number two would have been David Ogden Stiers mm-hmm. because I love the character of Winchester and I love what he did with it. I'm saddened that he passed before we had the opportunity to talk to him. Yeah, would have been great. You know, and then my number three, I would love to have talked to Alan Arbus about Sidney Freeman. I think of all the guest stars, he left the most indelible mark on the show. Mm-hmm. So I would love to have had the opportunity to chat with Alan Arbus as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been good. And he really had that kind of psychiatrist, that wonderful quality that you really want in a psychiatrist yeah, uh, yeah, to be able to go and sit to sit with somebody and have them, you know, make it okay to say anything you want and okay to be listened to. And he was really, really wonderful. Uh, that quality, I think, was certainly in him as a human being. And that's what we saw in the character as well. So very nice man. Very nice man. All right. But enough about me. Back to you, Jeff. I want to know about your hobbies. <laughs> What do you do to have fun? What do you enjoy doing? Gin. Uh, gin <laughs> is just... Wait, the manufacturing of it or the consumption of it? Uh, the consumption of gin is uh, you really work hard to make it a hobby and to make it something that be lasting. I don't remember much about it afterwards. But... No, you don't remember anything, what you did or anything. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Who cares? Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, aside from gin, uh, I do have, uh, I used to be a cowboy. <laughs> I used to own a couple of horses and I love horses. Huh. And uh, I used to ride up and there was a place in Los Angeles here, Griffith Park. And I used to ride around in the hills of Griffith Park. And it was a great time. The, if you go out on a horse around dusk, the horse feels comfortable. You feel comfortable and the scenery is just beautiful. And you can watch, you know, the sunset and uh, be out in nature. When a horse and you are, you know, bonded, it's a really cool thing because you know each other, you enjoy each other, and you enjoy being out in the same places. And it's it's a really wonderful thing. So I miss doing that. I, I haven't done that in quite some time, but that was a big, big, big hobby of mine. I was trained to ride a little horse that I bought, and I couldn't ride it for eight months because it was a little baby horse. <laughs> And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I gave him several hundred dollars for the baby horse and said, okay, give me a saddle. And he said, oh, no, you can't ride it for about eight months. <laughs> but I, I then went to a trainer and the trainer trained me and the horse together, which was an amazing experience. So I learned a lot. Luckily, I didn't just get up on a horse and ride around. I, I learned a lot about uh, horsemanship and stuff. So it was really fun. So that was a big hobby I, that I don't do anymore. Now I golf. I love golf. I went crazy over the golf game. I go out and do it as much as I can, and I've gotten better at it. I took a few lessons and with some hotshot people, and they taught me a lot of stuff. And then the best way to do it is just go out and keep doing it. It's relaxing. It's out in the you know out in nature, and you look around and beautiful scenery, which I also like skiing. Skiing is a huge hobby, but I'm in Los Angeles. And it's a little difficult to ski as much as I'd like to <laughs> in LA. <laughs> yeah. I, 
uh, my wife and I actually almost, almost moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Hmm. That's a beautiful place, and I loved it, and I could go skiing every day almost when it was winter, but she decided she didn't want to spend that much time in the cold, so we didn't. So I thought, well, I got to do something, and I took up golf, not knowing whether I'd like it or not, and I've now become a total addict. I am addicted to golf. It's true. The first step is acceptance. Yes. Yeah. Well, good for you. Thank you. I'm hoping for an intervention soon because <laughs> spending too much money on balls and it's just irritating me. <laughs> you play golf too, don't you? I know you do. Well, you can't say what I play is golf. <laughs> I had my very first golf lesson at the age of five. Really? Yes. And it worked because I still to this day play like a five-year-old. Five-year-old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I golf, but I am not a good golfer. I do not put the time and energy in it to practice like I should. It has been a long time since I played. So yeah, I don't consider myself a golfer by any stretch of the imagination because that would be an insult to people who actually are golfers. <laughs> Well, it's a fascinating thing to do. Your body doesn't necessarily enjoy it (laughs) or it's comfortable with it at all. It doesn't seem to like it many days and it won't do the same thing it did on, you know, if you do it on Tuesday and it really works on Wednesday, it won't do that same thing for some reason. Mm -hmm. If you ride a horse, your body will do the same thing on the horse. It won't do the same thing with a golf club in your hand. I cannot figure out why. And it's the same for professionals too, because it, you know, what's interesting is when you're watching golf on TV and you see one of these PGA professionals, and these are the best golfers in the world. And you see one of them put 10 strokes on a par four. When you see that occasionally, you're like, oh, I'm not the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's kind of reassuring. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's what keeps people playing golf who don't play very well. Yes. Oh, they do too. And every once in a while, you'll hit a ball like the pros hit it and you go, oh, I can do this again. Yep. But not necessarily. No, not at all. So there you go. Golf. So a couple of other questions from listeners here for you, Jeff. Megan Bridget, she's one of our VIPs for Patreon. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Megan. Megan says, you always talk about how MASH was a job for you and that you only recently realized the impact of the show. Do you have any MASH equivalent shows that impacted you in the same way that MASH has impacted us? That's a good question. Um, No. I'm an insensitive lout, actually. Uh, No, I don't. And I'm going to admit, now, there are television shows that I like and I enjoy, but there aren't any television shows that I really bonded with everybody and said, gee, this is something that I'm going to carry on for the rest of my life with, because I looked at them scientifically. And when I decided that I kind of wanted to be in show business, and that was at a pretty early age. And watching movies and watching television shows, I was always interested in what they were doing and why they did what they did when they did it and how they did it. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at them kind of like a mechanic looks into a car, even though they may enjoy working on cars. They're looking for the reasons, the problems, the things and how it's working and how it's all fitting together and how it's running. And that's kind of what I did. So I was always a little detached emotionally from the television shows, because of that reason. I was always being a little bit too too scientific. And I, I quite frankly, wasn't watching, you know, a series with, with my parents. Mm-hmm. I was alone sitting in my room like a sad little child, <laughs> pathetic and 
by himself, sobbing into his sleep. No, I wasn't doing that. But I, I didn't have the experience of watching a show with a parent, so I didn't have that bonding experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched TV, but I was always wondering what they were doing. And I, I, I was always figuring out, if they're doing that, can I do that? And I want to do that. So I was I was just a little bit detached. And you did do that. I did do that. I did do that. Yeah. Yeah, I kept doing it. Now I'm a I'm I love movies and there are a few movies that are my best favorite movies of all times because I love the characters and I love the way they did it. But I'm also a little detached from that too because I still kind of look at, you know, what's behind the curtain and how they're doing the trick. Right, right. <laughs> And that's kind of the way I looked at television shows. So I never got carried away by shows. Unfortunately, and I, I find that to be too bad because it's a, it gives you a wonderful experience. And so I, I feel like I missed that. And that's kind of what I'm enjoying now about doing the podcast because I'm getting a sense of that through doing this. So what I missed, I'm sort of, you know, reliving a little bit or, or actually living yeah. the first time. Well, that kind of dovetails into another question from a listener. Dalton Wilson wants to know, what's one of the most meaningful fan interactions that you've ever had? Uh, you mean <laughs> in a bar or? <laughs> okay. What's the most meaningful PG-13 fan interaction you've ever had? <laughs> oh, oh, though, yeah. PG-13. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. You know, uh, this is going to sound stupid and kind of ridiculous. You may not believe it, but I am so appreciative of everybody. And I'm so appreciative of people who not only like the show, but certainly say nice things about Private Igor. I I don't have a specific fan experience that I would say, you know, far outweighs another. Uh, you can come up and say, hey, I really like the mash and really enjoy it. Thanks a lot. And goodbye. And that's kind of just as meaningful as some of the others that, uh, you know, sort of last a little bit longer. You know, I've had some wonderful conversations and certainly the relationship that you and I have built from it is uh, monumental. And I certainly say it takes the cake uh, out of all of them. <laughs> but, you know, your normal everyday relationship with people who like to show and say nice things is just a truly uh, wonderful experience for me. So I continue to thank everybody who does that. Well, that's ridiculous and stupid and I don't believe it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to do one more thing to you about this because you brought uh, David up before. And I was going to ask this question, but I realize another uh, listener has written the same thing. And that's from Dean. And he says, why? And he also says, dig deep. (laughs) Uh, Is Charles your favorite character? So, uh, you know, you may not want to go through it, but hey, I'd like to know too. And I was going to say that, you know, what is it about him that, that resonated with you so deeply? Oh, boy. Okay. So Charles Emerson Winchester III, yes, is my favorite character from MASH. And I I don't know that I've ever tried to put this into words. I love characters who are more complex than they appear on the surface. You know, it would have been easy to write off Charles as nothing more than just a pompous, privileged blowhard. But there is so much more to him. Uh, Charles is a philanthropist. He quietly supports people with disabilities. Um, He loves the arts. He is loyal. And there are aspects of that character that really are in direct conflict with the, as I said, pompous blowhard. When you have those two different dynamics 
and they come together, it makes for a very interesting layered character. And I really appreciate that. I also think that much of the credit goes to David Ogden Stiers for his excellent portrayal of Charles. Because in the hands of another actor, he could have been a cartoon character. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why. He imbued that character with this incredible mix of hubris and humanity. That is not an easy assignment. And so the different traits of the character and also the way that David portrayed the character, all of that combined is why Charles is my favorite character on MASH. Wow. That was beautiful. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, when I act, I've always enjoyed portraying the characters that aren't necessarily the most lovable characters. You you may not like them. You may not empathize with them, but there might be something in there that you can connect with. What, what was the most dislikable character you ever played? I just played him. The most recent character I played on stage was in To Kill a Mockingbird. I've had the pleasure of playing Atticus Finch twice, but then most recently I did a complete 180 and played Bob Ewell. Mm. And Bob Ewell is the most vile character I have ever played on a stage. Mm -hmm. It's always interesting when you can actually feel the hate from the audience. (laughs) Well, and you want to get hatred from the uh, audience because if you don't, (laughs) you're not doing the job. And it was interesting, too, because it was a theater group that I had never worked with before. And during rehearsals, I kept stopping in the middle of rehearsals and looking at my castmates and saying, I really am a nice guy. (laughs) That's great. Well, that's, you know, and that's kind of what all the the acting business gives you the opportunity to do. Yeah. Those two parts are quite different from each other. And the opportunity to play both is really wonderful. So let's wrap this up because we've been talking for a while and we could sit here and ask questions till the cows come home. Yeah. The cows are coming home. I hear them. Uh, (laughs) So uh, one last question for you. Is there anything in your career that you haven't done yet that you dream of doing? Uh, Boy, is there anything in my career that I haven't done yet that I dream of doing? Um, Let me think quickly. Is that Walter? Well, he's barking at the cows because they're coming coming home. home. Boy, you are rural, aren't you? I didn't realize. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I would like to uh, produce a couple of movies. Um, That's what I'd like to do. During the time I was on MASH, I started writing with a uh, gentleman who was a friend, and we started writing a couple of screenplays. One of them got a lot of attention, uh, and then we did a thing called optioning the screenplay, which is a producer will read it and say, hey, I want to make the screenplay into a movie, so I'm going to give you uh, X number of dollars, and I'm going to keep it for 12 uh, months or whatever you agree on, and I'm going to try and sell it. And if I can, then we'll make the movie, and you'll be happy, and we'll give you a lot more money. So I got involved in doing that. And I really got involved in writing the screenplay and really enjoyed that process. And then on a kind of a not so heavy duty of basis, I I started producing videos and I enjoyed doing those and enjoyed the process of bringing people together and uh, creating a product that could be enjoyed. And so the screenplay that we wrote was optioned by a number of fancy-dancy producers in Los Angeles. It was never done. That's not terribly unusual for a movie. Uh, Sometimes it takes 20 years to get a movie done, so I'm not terribly upset about it. 
but I still have that in mind. Uh, I'm also involved in trying to write a, you know, sell a, another television show too, which I would like to do as well. But I'd, I'd prefer the movie thing because as a movie producer, you get an opportunity to have a lot of hands in a lot of positions in a film. You can help with the casting, you can help with the screenwriting, you can help putting it together, you can find directors. So there's a lot of involvement that I enjoy. And I found that I did enjoy it by writing that first screenplay and getting involved in the other facets of, of show business, not just performing and not just acting. Acting is great. I love it. I performed for seven or eight years as a comedy team. I adored that. I got huge, wonderful experiences from doing that. Then I got into the acting business and got on MASH and did other shows, which I loved beyond comprehension. But I also found that there is a limited amount of involvement you have as an actor. <laughs> you you get your script, you get the lines, you say the lines, you go home. <laughs> and they give you the check. And it's great, but that's about it. But as a producer, you get to do a lot of things and you're with a project for a long time and you get to you get to do a lot more stuff than you do as an actor. And it just I just discovered that I liked doing that. Hmm. A lot of people would say, hey, I wouldn't want to do that. I don't want all those problems. I want to go in, say the words, and go home, which is great. But I also would love that uh, next step of producing a movie. That that would be my uh, my next dream, my goal. All right. Well, we'll start the GoFundMe. Go, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there were two more listener questions that I at least want to mention here. Howard and Moose. Yeah. Howard wanted to know, what's the exact difference between a river of liver and an ocean of fish? <laughs> and then Moose asks, will there be refreshments? There will be refreshments. Soup. Cream of weenie. On that note, we will wrap up this episode of MASH Matters. Well, this has been fun. I've enjoyed learning about you and learning about your history in terms of how you got into the radio business and the acting business. So I thank you very much for sharing that with, with me and everybody else. That was pretty cool. This has been fun. Thank you to everybody who sent in some questions. There were some questions that came in, some really great questions that maybe we'll save for another episode. But before we go, I want to just mention, we have something really cool coming up, hopefully in our next episode. I don't want to give away too much. I just want to say there is something really special coming up, something kind of exclusive, something that is very familiar, but at the same time, you've never heard it before. I think that's all we can really say, isn't it, Jeff? I think uh, other than it's going to be really cool, very exclusive, not going to hear it anywhere else. You haven't heard it anywhere else other than MASH Matters. And until then, here's looking up your old address. 